0: Lord, you may be seated. Thankful to be here. Thankful that this is the day that the Lord hath made. Amen. So I'm going to try and do some justice to the thoughts that I had and something I was thinking on um, last week and uh both brother nichols and pastor kind of hit on the same subject last sunday during service and so i just continued on with that thought and that that uh that idea and and, uh i thought i was going to have a little more time in preparation uh to kind of really finalize what it is i I have on my heart Uh, but uh pastor got a hold of me on tuesday and said hey you think you can have something for Sunday. So I'm ready. <laughs> I, hope, I hope God is here with me today because I'm going to need him to be here with me right now and, and kind of convey this word. Amen. Because I don't want it to be my words, but I want it to be his words this morning. Amen. So I'm just going to pray real quick over us that, that God is going to bless us today in this, this morning service. God, I ask that you be with us here in this place. God, let your spirit overshadow us this morning. Lord, let your your spirit guide us this this morning in your word. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to express your thoughts this morning, not my thoughts, Lord. And I want your people to receive your word, Lord Jesus, today. Bless each and every one of us here in this place, and we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be reading two scriptures and um, I don't have as many notes as I thought I was going to end up having, and um, I had got up this morning and was like, oh, I have more ideas, and I started trying to add to, and I, and I just, you know, ran out of time, and um, I was up late last night. I couldn't sleep, th- th- this idea, and and what I want to convey and, and bring across this morning was just weighing on me last night. And for hours, I just stayed up. I finally got up and I just started, you know, trying to put more thoughts in, into, into this work. And um, so I just pray that God take control right now, Lord. Let your, let your word come through. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so this, this scripture, I was reading it last week, and in Brother Nichols' used it in his lesson last week, and the pastor had it in his message last Sunday, and, and I just was like, well, you know, the, the ideas that I had on this, I'm going to have to dive into them a little bit more and, and figure out exactly what it is God wants me to do with this message and what, what I need to convey, and I think the important part that we have to start off with is that he starts off in verse 1 saying, I beseech ye therefore... Whenever we see the word therefore in the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what is it there for? What is it there for, right? So we have to, we have to understand that there's, there's an important point that's being made by the author at this time. So he says, he starts off, he says, I beseech ye therefore. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Because there's a, there's a specific meaning to what, I'm have to, to what I'm having to say, right? The book of Romans is probably the most powerful summary of the Christian message in the entire New Testament. You see, it was written for both the Gentile and the Jew. It was written as an understanding. You see, Paul was speaking mainly to the Gentile. And the Gentile didn't know anything about the law. The Gentile didn't know anything about God. Right? Gentile doesn't know anything about sin. If you go out into this world and you start to witness to someone, and you start telling them, hey, what you're doing is wrong and you're living a sinful life, they have no idea what you're talking about unless they've already had some kind of revelation about God and the Bible. Right? So, Paul starts off this book of Romans as a powerful summary of the Christian message. So, he is moved by a deep longing to proclaim the gospel of salvation by grace. Justification by faith in the atoning work of Christ alone. So what does that mean? What does all that mean? You see, Romans was to show the Jew and the Gentile that you were both condemned before God because you have not obeyed the law of the scripture. Whether you knew it existed or it didn't, doesn't matter. The scripture existed, God's word existed, whether you knew it or not. Now, the Jews knew it, and they chose not to obey, right? And the Gentiles didn't know it, but that didn't mean that they were relinquished from condemnation, right? So Paul's saying here, look, you are both condemned by the scripture. Romans 3 and 20 says it this way, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we understand what sin is. So as soon as we're introduced to the law, we can no longer claim ignorance of the law. <laughs> we can no longer sit there and say, well, I didn't know. Right? I mean, even in the Jewish faith, there's, a, there's an age, right? An age of atonement, an age of reckoning, right? An age of accountability. There's a time where we say, okay, up until this age, you're not accountable, But from this point on, you are now fully accountable for for the law. You are now fully accountable for your own actions. You can't blame anybody else anymore. You are now accountable for your own actions. So, what else does Paul say about the scripture here? He also talks about the law written in the heart. This is where he's reaching out to the Gentile. He's saying, you know by conviction... When something is right or wrong. Without even knowing what the law states. Without even knowing the scripture. You know by conviction in your heart. What is right and what is wrong. And when you choose to do it. And when you choose not to do it. You are sinning against the very conviction. That you feel within you. He says this in Romans 2 and 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts. The meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another you see when when you go about this world and you're walking around things are going to happen you're going to make a decision something inside you is going to tell you what decision is the right decision what decision is the wrong decision whether you know the scripture or not it doesn't matter you are no longer relinquished (laughs) you are now fully accountable for your own actions So Paul is saying, as a summary of the Christian faith in this word, what I'm going to put together here in Romans is a complete summary of the fact that we cannot be justified by our own flesh. We can't live by this own flesh and be justified. Only through Christ alone, by faith in Jesus Christ, are we justified under the law. Amen. That is the only way we have any justification You see, he goes on to say there is no human righteousness that can avail with God. We have no righteousness in us. We cannot avail with God. Only through Christ Jesus are we provided salvation. Romans 5 and 1 says that there being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one justification, and that is through Jesus Christ quite simple. Paul's putting it out there and saying, look, if you want justification, there's only one way you're going to get it, by the grace of God, through Jesus Christ. That is it. That is the only way you're going to have it. You're not going to have it any other way. So by faith in Christ, we are set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8 and 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves. Not of our own understanding, but in Christ Jesus, who walked not after the flesh, again, of ourselves, of our own volition, but after the Spirit. In other words, following after Christ, following after him. So what does this mean? What is Paul trying to say? Paul's summer is uh, putting together a conclusion at the end of Romans. So as he, as he talked in, in verse 3 and 20, saying, therefore, by the deeds of the law. And in Romans 5 and 1, therefore, being justified by faith. And in Romans 8 and 1, therefore, now no condemnation. So he starts off chapter 12 as he's getting ready to close in his benediction of Romans by saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So I started thinking about this, this and and the thought came to me that that I need to be reasonable. I need to be reasonable. How do I do that? How do I be reasonable? (laughs) How am I going to get there? Well, Paul says we're going to start off. By becoming a living sacrifice, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, what does it mean? What, how do I present my body as a living sacrifice? What does it even mean to become a living sacrifice? What Paul's trying to relay to us is the idea right here, and this is, this is what we need to understand, is that there is nothing in this world we can control. We only have the illusion of control. With the exception of one thing. This flesh. This body. I control this body. You don't control my body. I don't control your body. You don't control my mind. I don't control your mind. Anything I do, I do of my own free will. Whatever I decide to say, I say of my own free will. Whatever I decide to do, I do of my own free will. God doesn't control me. Paul wants you to understand that there's only one thing in this world that you have complete control over, and that is yourself. That is the only thing you can control. The rest of it is an illusion. I have a bank account, I have some money in there, not as much as I want. It's really an illusion. It's really not mine. (laughs) Man, I'm not going to go there this morning. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) But you see, we, we are not born of the Spirit. We are born of flesh and bone. Spirit is something completely different. John 1, 12 and 13 puts it this way. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see, you were born not of God. Your natural birth was was not of God. You weren't born, the day you came into this world, you were not born of the spirit of God. But you were born of flesh and bone. So therefore, you belong to you. You don't belong to anybody else. We only have the illusion of control. Psalms 50 and 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and every cattle upon a thousand hills. So the very idea that we can control anything in this world is just an illusion. We don't really have control. If God wants the cattle on a thousand hills, he can take them right back. The very gold in the ground belongs to him. Precious metals. Everything that we claim and try and hold on to belongs to God. And at any point, God could take it back. But God isn't going to do anything to you without you allowing God to do something with you. God, you have to allow God to do something. You see, that's what Paul's saying. You've got to present yourself. You've got to relinquish control of yourself and give yourself to God in order for him to do something in your life. He's not going to do anything without your control, without your relinquish of control. Doesn't matter. Sometimes it seems it would be easier if God would just decide, you know what, I'm going to take full control and I'm going to take care of everything. You don't have to worry about anything. I'll just, I'll work it all out, right? And I don't have to worry about making any more decisions in my life about what's right and what's wrong because God is in control. But it doesn't work that way. The only thing I can do is just, the only thing I can control I need to give it to God. I need to relinquish it. I need to give it up. He says that we need to be able to present it holy and acceptable unto God. What does it mean? How do I present this flesh, which is not holy, is not righteous, unto God, holy and acceptable? Now, I, I always like to refer to sports because I grew up playing sports and... and While there's certain sports I can't play anymore because this body just won't allow me to, there's a a few sports that I can play, and one of them, which I enjoy, is golf. Now, when I go out on the golf course and I'm playing, the unique thing about golf is that it's me versus the course. Now, if I'm playing with buddies, you know, I might have the mindset, you know, I'm going to beat my buddies, you know, I'm going to play better than them. But the reality is, is just me versus the golf course, right? The, the layout of the golf course, they, they put traps out there. They call them traps, right? Right? They, they're referred to as, as hazards, penalty areas, right? There's rules that define, you know, what you do if you go into penalty areas, Right? And so when something happens and I go into a penalty area, there is nobody's fault but mine. I'm going to blame the wind. I oh, got the wind. Got, got my ball. Blew it into the water. It didn't have anything to do with that, right? I'll blame it, you know, if I'm out with my buddy Clint, you know, and he, you know, clicks the brake off of the golf cart right. I am whoa, bro, what'd you do? You messed me up. But the fact is, is that how is any of that presenting myself wholly to God? You see, a couple of weeks ago I went out and I, I told Brother Clint this. And I was playing golf and I mentioned it last Sunday that, that I wasn't happy with the way I was doing it. Wasn't happy with the performance I was putting in. And I didn't say it last Sunday, but I'll I'll confess this Sunday. I got mad. (laughs) I got angry. I I did. I'm serious. I got angry. And uh, I decided that it was the fault of my club. (laughs) Jesus helped me this morning. And so I didn't mean to take it out of my club, but I did rather angrily throw my club at the ground. The club didn't survive. It it snapped in half. That wasn't my intention. I needed that club at least another 10 times the rest of the round. All I did was hurt myself. And as I walked to the next tee, my, my buddies that I'm playing with, my, my good friends that I, I, I play with all the time, I knew that they understood that that was not in character for me. And so when I got to the next tee box, I, I had to apologize to them and say, I, I apologize, guys. It, it's OK to be frustrated. But I should have never gotten angry, right? And my buddy said, Well, so much for your club. <laughs> so, uh, you know, fortunately, I've got lots more in my garage at home. <laughs> my wife wished I didn't have that many. But it was old. It was an old club. It had lots of miles on it. I had a newer one. But you see, what I'm trying to get at is is while I'm out there doing my thing, something I enjoy doing, something I, you know, lots of times will tell people I love to play golf. And I I began to think about when I was reading the scripture, how was anything I did that day holy and acceptable unto God? At what point did I present myself to God in a way that he would accept? And I I, kind of started to feel it, a little conviction, right, about being better. I got to be better Right, If I'm going to witness to my buddies out there on the golf course, it's going to be hard to tell them about the goodness of God after I just boom, relinquished control of my anger onto a golf club and snapped it in half in front of them <laughs> and didn't tell my wife for seven days. But Paul says that we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. What does it mean to sacrifice something? It, it, it means to just, to just give it. Give it up. We have to give up control. Right. We have to give up control to God. So that God can do something. And when God does something with our life, we now become holy and acceptable unto him. And he, Paul says, hey, it's just your reasonable service. <laughs> I'm not asking for too much here. You should understand it is just your reasonable service. So I came up with this thought. I'm like, well, I need to be reasonable. I need to be reasonable. If I'm going to present myself as a sacrifice, if I'm going to give up control, I need to be reasonable. And so how do I do that? How do I present myself to God? Well, Paul outlines this in verse 2, and he puts it this way. And be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, that's, that's amazing. Is it amazing? Be not conformed. That is so easy. It's so easy for me to be not conformed, right? All I have to do is come to church, pay my tithes wear my jacket, put on a tie, put on some shoes, right? I'm not going to walk like, not going to talk like, not going to be like, not going to act like the world. I don't think that's what Paul means here. You see, we we live in America and we have a, a unique language called the English language. And it ain't so easy to understand sometimes. You ever heard someone say, I didn't mean it that way. That's not what I meant. And our response is usually, well, that's what you said. You see, the word here, conform, I began to dig into this word, conform. What does it mean to conform? You see, it was translated from the Greek as the word "conform." So what's very unique about the English language is that it is very confusing to everybody. And I can be the first to tell you that it confused me my entire life. I still don't understand it. I know some of you have a better grasp of the English language than I do, but I still don't really understand it. And I'll tell you what, my grades in English bear out the fact that I really didn't understand (laughs) it. What it is that I was doing with this language we call the English language. We, we can't even properly use letters of the alphabet in a word. The letter F isn't even in the word alphabet. Let that sink in a moment. The letter F is not in the word alphabet. I think that our forefathers just decided we wanted to confuse the rest of the world so that if they ever thought they could come here and understand what we're saying, they'll have no clue. And that's what the English language is. Because if you talk to people from other countries, when they come here, they talk about how hard it is to learn the English language. Because we make it so confusing. So when we have the word, this is a verb, the word conform. We use verbs in two forms. transitive. And intransitive. Isn't that cool? That way I can use one word and give it so many meanings that I can confuse you so you have no idea which one I meant. And that's why I can say, well, that's not what I meant. So when Paul says here, be not conformed, well, what is he saying? Well, he's not talking about don't dress like, don't talk like, don't look like. I'll tell you something. You know what? Jesus talks about a parable in the book of Luke. I'm just going to read it. It says that two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He was conforming. He was conforming to the law. But his heart wasn't given unto God. The scripture says that the public in standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says that I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. You see, Paul's saying you can not look like, not talk like, not be like the world and still, God doesn't know you. That's right. That's right. He's not trying to tell you, hey, you know what? And I'm not. I'm not preaching against holiness. We we've got scripture about holiness, right? But I'm just trying to say, you know, if if you think that coming to church, paying tithes, dressing the part, clapping your hands coming up here and not giving God anything, not giving yourself to God, God can't use you. God can't bless you. God can't do anything to you unless you give him control over you. So when Paul says, be not conformed, He's not talking about the transitive verb. But he's talking about the intransitive verb. See, a transitive verb is an action when the verb passes from the subject to a direct object. Right? The subject being not like the object being in the world. But an intransitive verb... An intransitive verb, it means something completely different. It has a meaning all to itself. It has substance all to itself. It's not talking about another object. But what what Paul is saying is... When you're going to change, when you're not going to be conformed of this world, you have to be different. You have to be different. See, an intransitive verb doesn't need an object to make sense. It has meaning all by itself. An intransitive verb, defining that, the word conform, means to be in agreement or harmony obedient, compliant. See, that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to be compliant to the world. He wants you to accept sin. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else accepts it as okay. So if everybody else accepts it as okay, then why are you against it? Because God says that if I'm going to present myself to him, that I need to completely change my life. I can't just change the outward appearance. But there's things in this world that I just cannot accept at all. And it's hard because what the world wants today, what the message is being preached today, is for you to just accept it. Accept it as being an okay. And there are religious institutions that are accepting things that God has defined in the scripture as being sin. In twenty fifteen I was working at a healthcare institution in town, and I won't say the name, and we had to go through training on how to accept transgenderism. They had to train us. Managers and directors were all in a room together, probably a hundred of us. And in there we we learned what it meant. For someone to be born in the wrong body. And, and how to properly treat them so that we don't make them feel uncomfortable. And, and I understand we don't want to make people uncomfortable. I, I love people. I love people. That doesn't mean I accept sin. Right. It doesn't mean that I accept their way of life as being acceptable unto God. Right, but it doesn't mean that I put them at a distance and I don't love them. I do. I, I with sincere heart. I love. I love people. Right. I try and find the good in everybody I meet. But Paul's saying here, we we got to be careful what we accept. And and I'll, I'll tell you this. In that room of a hundred or so people, there might have been three or four who completely buy in and believe it. And the other 96 just accept it. We just accept it. Because we don't want to make a scene. We don't want to stand up. We don't want to cause any kind of conflict, right? We have to be careful, church. What we accept, what we go along with, and what we decide to say is okay in this world... There's going to come a time when when you choose not to stand up for God today that there isn't going to be anybody left with you tomorrow. There's going to be anybody left with you tomorrow to be able to stand up. So what Paul's saying here is, if you're going to be not conformed to this world, it's more than just an outward look, but you have to completely change your mind. Change the way you think. Do not accept sin. Period. We have to not accept it. And he says the way to do this is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. (laughs) Again, another verb. (laughs) And in the intransitive use of the word transform simply means change. We have to change we have to realize that the way we came into this situation cannot stay that way. And we have to completely change our life. And he says the only way to do that is through the renewing of your mind. And it's not easy to do. I, uh, I don't know if I've had any success this week, but I started a weight loss program. in fact, I know I did not completely stay successful this week. And in this weight loss program, which is offered free through my work, um, through my health insurance, I uh, had to watch a series of videos. And this isn't like a diet plan where they lay stuff out. But this is a, a bunch of psychologists telling you how to change your thinking about the way you eat. Well, it didn't work week one. Because one of the first things that told me I needed to do was to do a sugar reset. I was telling Brother Nichols yesterday morning. I was supposed to do a sugar reset. And that lasted for about eight and a half hours. Day one. I made about eight and a half hours. I couldn't, take, I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Why? Because I, I, I don't have it in my mind yet. Not yet. I still crave that sugar. I'm not quite ready yet to change. You see, Paul says that we have to change our mindset. We have to completely change. And it isn't easy. It doesn't happen overnight. When a newcomer comes to church and they get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, it doesn't happen overnight. That's right. But it's an ongoing mindset. Yeah. Ongoing mindset mindset something we have to do and I'll close with this as I've I've run out of time Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of good report if there be any virtue if there be any praise think on these things let's stand this morning if we're going to change our mind we got to completely change the way we see everything in this world and we got to focus on God focus on the word focus on what is true what is honest, what is pure, what is good, what is virtuous, and give up control. (laughs) The hardest part, give up control of myself and give it to God. Amen.